There we go. I invite you to join me in the book of Philippians. My family and I had a good time in Grand Rapids, Michigan this week for the GARBC National Conference. That's our uh, National Association of Churches. A time of refreshing, sitting under the Word of God, but it's good to be home. It's always good to be back home. Uh, you can pray for Pastor Dan and Maggie. They, are, they were planning to take some time off this week anyway, uh, but with uh, Maggie's grandma passing, I'm sure there are uh, other family things involved this week for them, but uh, keep them in your prayers as well. Philippians chapter 1, begin reading in verse number 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. The way that you speak to us is always through your word. So help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to do what you want us to do as a result of this passage. So Father, guide my words, open our hearts to listen, to learn, and to show our love for you by doing what you command. In Jesus' name, amen. Our series in the book of Philippians is the mind of Christ, that we would think like Christ in everything that we think about, because what we think about is what we do. What does the scripture says? Out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. The same is true for our actions. What we feed into our hearts is the things that we will do. Uh, Jesus' death was not simply to change our eternity. We think of that. We, we think of salvation as, well, I was bound for hell, and now I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord for that, right? But his death was not simply to change our eternal destination. His sacrifice was to transform our life in the here and now. And that transformation is immediate and it is ongoing. I would love to be able to tell you that the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by believing in him, by trusting in him for his sacrifice, trusting in him for his righteousness, that immediately you will have arrived. Everyone here who's been saved more than a day knows that's not how it works. In fact, as we mature in Christ, as we grow in Christ, we learn how there's just more and more that we see in ourselves that, you know, I still have sin. Just crouching in the shadows of my life that I still need to pursue, push out. There's righteousness that I still need to pursue. He came to transform our life in the here and now. So far in Philippians, we've looked at Paul's introductory marks, introductory remarks, oh my goodness, 
and they are remarkable. First, we looked at the fellowship aspect of what the church is. Uh, when we fellowship, it's not just about sharing food and sharing conversation. That's the way we use that word in our contemporary English language, but that's not how Scripture used that word. Fellowship is relating to one another in the gospel and participating in the gospel. So having that, that relationship and that action tied to it. Secondly, we examined the love that the gospel generates among God's people. Specifically how Paul expressed his genuine love for the Philippian believers, even though he hadn't been able to be with them for around a decade. And he expressed how he knew that they loved him in return. It wasn't a love that was only feeling. It was a love that demonstrated it itself in action. Today we continue. We look at the advancement of the gospel despite great resistance. We as a culture love an underdog story, don't we? It's the, the small high school basketball team that is underfunded, understaffed, uh, lets everybody who wants to play get on the team because just to get enough guys to play, and then they go on to state and beat the really large school. That's actually history, and it's the plot line of the movie Hoosiers if you need something to do this afternoon. We love an underdog story. It's the young, scrappy David who takes on the beastly Goliath, not with a tank or even a bow and arrow. He uses a slingshot. Everyone looking at David going after Goliath was thinking, yeah, he's dead. There's no way David's going to survive this. We love an underdog story because the expected outcome, the anticipated outcome is flipped on his head and we get a better outcome. Take what's happening to Paul. Paul is Christ's special apostle to the Gentiles. He is the 13th of the 12. He's the one that, uh, that he would say himself was called out of time because uh, his calling to Christ didn't happen while Jesus was walking the earth. It happened much later. And, and so he is called to not go to the Jewish people, his, his own people. He's called to go to the Gentiles. So he does that. He goes throughout Asia Minor. He starts churches. The gospel is spreading. And what happens for all of his labor? Jail time. Well, isn't that a thank you? Conventional wisdom would think, surely this fad that is the church is going to die out because one of its main players, Paul, is sidelined. But you already know that exactly the opposite is what happened. The underdog, the church, thrives under persecution. So our big idea this morning is the gospel flourishes when we prioritize God's purpose. The gospel flourishes. It goes unabated when we prioritize God's purpose of spreading the gospel. So in verse 12, we see encouragement to see this gospel purpose. Paul writes, and I read for you again, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
Paul would have been perfectly right and just and almost expected to start out his letter after he's got his, his introduction and his pleasantries, to start out his letter saying, woe is me, I'm in jail, come help. But rather than looking at his circumstances through human eyes, rather than looking at his unjust loss of freedom, he instead takes a heavenly perspective, knowing that God was still in control. Do you believe that God is in control? For our church, that was actually pretty loud. We do believe that God is in control. But knowing it and knowing it isn't always the same, is it? We can have the, the intellectual knowledge that, yes, God is sovereign. He's the creator of all things. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And nothing happens outside of his control. But knowing it in our heart, that's a different matter sometimes, isn't it? So that's why we have to preach to ourselves. We have to tell our heart Yes, God knows what he's doing. Do you know what worry is? Theologically speaking, worry is an irrational fear that God is not in control. I tend to worry. I inherited it fair and square. I can look at... Uh, members of my family in previous generations that were worry warthogs. That was for you Patch the Pirate fans. Worry is an irrational fear that God is not in control. It's irrational because is God ever not in control? Do you know what distress is? It, too, is an irrational fear that God is not in control. Do you know why we manipulate or try to otherwise force our will upon others? It's because we don't trust that God is in control. And so I feel like I have to meddle in other people's lives and, and make them see things the way I do, and I don't have to do that. Paul is in chains. He is literally chained up, imprisoned. And he remembers and recognizes and rests in the fact that God is in control. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But I know the truth. God is in control. And in his control, even though Paul is in prison, the gospel is still going out. In fact, it's actually going out through Paul while he's in prison. People are still hearing the gospel. And they're still hearing it from Paul. People are still getting saved. That word that Paul uses in verse 12, the second part of verse 12, uh, to advance the gospel, that word advance is the, what the Greek-speaking world would use to describe blazing a trail before an army comes through. 
In other words, uh, that advancement is the hard work of making a path so that those who come behind will have easier travels. He's saying that even though I'm imprisoned, God is still doing the work of setting the gospel free among the people. He's blazing the trail. Most people would assume that Paul being in chains would stop this advancement. And most people would be wrong. See, the gospel is not impeded by our circumstances. We have it so easy. Compared to other believers around the world, we have it ridiculously easy. And to be clear, that's not necessarily helpful. Because when life is easy and then the smallest thing goes wrong, what do we turn to? We turn back to worry and distress. We try to manipulate our circumstances because even though we may know in our minds that God is in control, our heart isn't buying it. The gospel is not impeded by our circumstances. In fact, all events in life can be redeemed for his sake. Every bad thing that ever happens to you or to me, God can redeem for his gospel purpose. And there are some horrible things that happen to us. We get hurt, we get maimed, we lose loved ones. And sometimes at a very young age, God can redeem all of those events for his sake. Now, if that's true, and it is, then, how, then, then why is it that we often see the feeblest of reasons as an excuse to not advance the gospel ourselves? What if they reject me? Well, first of, first of all, when you present the gospel and someone rejects you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting the God of the gospel. But second and more importantly, what if they don't reject it? When was the last time you had the joy of leading someone to the Lord? If it's been a while, or maybe you've never had the opportunity pray for it. It is one of the most exciting things that can happen in your life is to see someone right in front of you go from death unto life. Yes, some will reject the gospel message. To be honest, most of the time that I've experienced that type of rejection, uh, their response is, nah, it's not for me. Or, yeah, I've heard about it. No, thank you. Every once in a while, someone will be vehemently against the very notion of God or the church. But even when that happens, even if they're angry and cursing at me, and that did happen once, I don't take that as rejection. That, what I feel is not rejection in that moment. What I feel is genuine sorrow. 
for someone who is lost and blinded to it? What if they reject me? What if I say the wrong thing? I think that. (laughs) Are you with me? What if I say the wrong thing? Well, let me encourage you. You will say the wrong thing. Some of what you say is not going to be quite right. It's okay. It's okay because the Holy Spirit, when he's at work in an unbeliever's life, he will take the bit of truth from the gospel that you got right and he will make it blossom. Now, I'm not suggesting we should just not worry about saying the wrong thing. We should, we should know the gospel well. But if you say the wrong thing, oh well. The Holy, will, the Holy Spirit will use the word of God as you use it. No one ever gets saved by a well-polished, forceful argument. Leading others to Christ is not sales. Okay? There are some principles that sound similar in sales. You, you have to show the person their need. Uh, you really need this dishwasher. It's going to make your, your dishes 98% cleaner than your old one. In sales, you present, and I have the solution. So there are similar themes, but the reality is, in sales, you have to convince the person to buy your product. In sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit does that. And when the Holy Spirit does that, you can't stop it. Not by saying something wrong. So Paul understood that his circumstances as being God's way of forging new territory for the gospel. It didn't matter where he was, the gospel was still going forth. In fact, it was going forth in an unstoppable way. Verse verse 13, we see the unstoppable gospel growth. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. To know Paul was to know Jesus because he was going to tell you about him. Now, Paul here does not claim that the whole imperial guard, the whole praetorium had trusted Jesus as Savior. That would have been amazing. But that they had all heard Everyone had heard at least the nuts and bolts of the gospel. They all knew about Jesus. Everyone had heard that his imprisonment was because of his insistence that Jesus is the Messiah, the only way of salvation. They knew he had not stolen anything. They knew he had not hurt anyone and therefore deserved to be in prison. They knew him to be a good person. They knew that his crime was not against Rome. The reason he was imprisoned was because of Jesus. I take Paul to mean this in two different facets, as he says that my imprisonment was for Jesus, that it was because he spoke of Jesus. That's the first facet and the the obvious one. I think he's also telling us that this was Jesus' plan for his life. 
that he would be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Paul wasted no energy trying to weasel his way out of prison. He was there because he would not stop speaking of Jesus Christ, and while there, he would not stop speaking of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people you and I come into contact with that don't know that we live for Jesus. Everyone in the prison knew that Paul was there because he lived for Jesus. Do people know that we live for Jesus? If it were illegal for us to name the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, anywhere outside of this building, I wonder how many of us would be in trouble with the law. Ouch. Think about it. Over the last two weeks, how many conversations about Jesus did you have with anyone who was not either part of our church or part of your family? Paul's obedience to the Great Commission, the go make disciples of all ethnic groups, that's our marching orders as well. His obedience cost him greatly, and all he had to do was just stop, and he'd have been a free man. That's it, just quit. He'd rather suffer for Jesus' sake. The conference that we were at this week in Grand Rapids was characterized mostly with preaching and singing, a few workshops. One of the sermons, it, it, we start off the morning with a service and then they have a little break time and then they have a second service. And I always feel bad for that second guy. Because we were in it for the first one, and, and by the second one, we're getting a little tired of sitting. We've been sitting in these pews long enough, and I always feel sorry for that second guy. Well, this second guy knew that he was second, and so he was going to make us get up and do some stuff. So he had us all stand, and we played a little Simon Says. Now, being a good conservative Baptist group, when Simon says, put your hands up in the air, Simon says, twirl your hands and turn around, it got a good laugh. But you know how the game Simon Says works. If, if the person leading it doesn't say Simon Says, but just gives you a command, you don't do that command, right? We got done with this little icebreaker of sorts to start off the sermon, and he puts a slide on the screen that says, when Simon says it, you do it, but when Jesus says it, you exegete it. Exegete, that nice theological word that means to draw meaning out of. When Jesus says it, we memorize it. But when Simon says it, we do it. Why is it when Jesus says it, we don't do it? Now, it's important that we exegete it to draw the meaning out of the text so we know what Jesus has said. Yes, that's very important. But we must be about doing what he says. Paul was on mission. He was always on mission. And some of it was he knew exactly how powerful the gospel message 
is. He knew exactly how, uh, how complete of a transformation the gospel can make in a person's life. Let's, let's talk through Paul's own personal testimony of salvation. And to do that, I want to read from Acts chapter 9 for you. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Just listen as I read. Now Saul, this is Paul, you recall. He's, he's later named Paul. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and, threw, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Paul encountered Jesus while on the road to Damascus, on a journey to go and persecute Christians. God could indeed produce a voice from heaven to call every individual he determines to save. He did it for Paul. Why can't he do it for everyone? Yet God chooses to use our voices instead. He chooses to use us, God's people, using God's word to speak it into other people's lives so that they might become believers. And in fact, even with Paul, the evidence is that he did not get saved under the voice of Jesus, but of Ananias. Verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 17 
It says, Ananias is speaking to Paul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's evidence here that Paul's conversion was actually not quite on the road to Damascus, but a little bit later. God chooses to use your voice and my voice to bring people to the cross. Yes, it is true that some read the Bible or other literature on their own and they are saved. That is true. But it's very, very rare. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's because one of God's people speaks truth into their lives. We are to speak Jesus into other people's lives, and this is exactly what Paul says is happening on account of his imprisonment. Not only has he been sharing while in prison, and so uh, all the people in the, the guard around him know that he is there for Christ. Verse 14, most of the brothers, in other words, other believers in Jesus Christ, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In verse 4, we see a fearless gospel confidence. The situation is yet another glowing example of how man's wisdom stands contrary to God's wisdom. When are we going to learn? When are we going to learn that, uh, that the best way for us to understand what God wants us to do is to know his word that because his wisdom is always wiser than ours? It's very easy for us to come up with ideas as to what we ought to do as a church, what we ought to do as individuals, what we should do as a family. But God's wisdom is better. So saturate yourself with God's wisdom. Man's wisdom says, look, Paul is in dire straits, so there's no way that the gospel is going to go forth, and there's certainly no way that I'm going to do what he did. Because if I do what he did, I'm going to be in jail too. That's man's wisdom, right? We would think that in this situation, the gospel would fall flat, that people would stop sharing it because they didn't want to be imprisoned like Paul. But in God's wisdom, the Spirit of God encourages and strengthens and emboldens people to go against natural wisdom, and to do so with a supernatural tenacity that the world cannot replicate. Paul's saying there are more people willing to go to prison for the cause of Christ because I'm in prison. The Holy Spirit makes that happen in a way that the, unbeliever, the unbelieving world can't experience and can't understand. Here's what I mean. Is it possible for an unsaved person to be sacrificial? Yes, certainly. In fact, we honor that on 4th of July weekend. Not everyone who died in the Revolutionary War went to heaven. A 
I don't like that, actually. But it's true. There are lots of unsaved people that would lay down their life for someone else, for their freedom. But it doesn't save. Heroism is great, but it is not saving. It is not salvific. Back to the text. The people who heard how Paul was being persecuted for the faith, and they, rather than being deterred from sharing likewise, were actually stirred to do it more, to risk their own freedoms and even lives for the cause of Christ. Having a gospel purpose in our hearts that comes out in our actions and in our words helps us to keep an eternal perspective. And that that eternal perspective is this. What can man do to me? So what if they imprison me for the rest of my life and God gives me an extended life and I live another 50 years? So what? That's not eternity. The worst that they can do is take my life. Well, that just sends me to Jesus right now. Okay. Gospel purpose helps us keep an eternal perspective. You know, we will talk about that which is most important to us. We will. People can't stop it. They're going to talk about what's most important. My kids are very important to me. I will talk about them all day long if you let me. Some people talk about politics as easy as they breathe. Oh, that Joe Biden's at it again. Or can you believe what Trump said? For others, it's sports. Did you see the game we won yesterday? We? You never even went to that school. What are you talking about? But there's an investment in that team. And they can't help talking about it. Oh, that Jesus were so central to our affection that we would just as easily speak of him. Hey, how are you doing today? Let me tell you how Jesus has been working in my life. Let me tell you how Jesus has spoken to me through his word. The gospel flourishes when we prioritize God's purpose. His purpose is to make Jesus known. We, the church, we're the underdog. It looks like the world is against us even today. Yet the church always thrives under persecution. The church always thrives when people say it can't be done. What is your situation? What circumstance has God placed you in so that the gospel might flourish through you? Maybe you're single. Like, oh, I don't like talking to people because I don't have someone with me all the time. If you're single, use it 
Leverage that for the gospel. Are you married with kids? Oh, I'm so busy, I can't share the gospel. I've got, I've got to go in seven different directions at once. And you're like, you have eight kids. Yes, but one's at camp, so I'm not going there. <laughs> it's very easy to allow the busyness of life to remove our perspective of that which is most important. But having kids has opened doors for the gospel in my life. And if you have kids, it can for you too. Are you retired? Leverage that schedule. Leverage that freedom for the gospel. Where do people go for coffee here? There's a couple coffee shops. There's Hy-Vee. Go there. Make some friends and share with them the gospel. Anytime we come to a passage of scripture, our call is not to simply understand but to have our hearts shaped by that passage to, so that our heart will conform to what God wants. And what God wants is for us to be the ones who share the gospel no matter what barricade may be in front of us. No excuses. Let's pray. Father, help us to have a heart for the gospel. There are many listening today who know Jesus as their Savior. They trust him fully for their salvation. They know that their good works won't get them to heaven. They know that, that all the good they do cannot undo the bad that they've done. And they're genuinely a believer in Christ. Father, we as those who know the precious gift of Jesus should be so enamored with it each and every day that we can't help but talk about it. Forgive us, Father, for the conversations that we had this past week that we didn't share Jesus. Father, bless us for the times that we have shared Jesus though it may have been clunky and awkward and we might not have said it quite right. Thank you that the gospel going forth is not dependent on our perfection or our polished presentation. It is dependent on us simply being obedient. And Father, don't let us be satisfied to know the text. Help us to be faithful, to share the word of God. And Father, that's success. Whether someone comes to know Jesus or not is not the point. The point is that if we're faithful sharing the gospel, eventually someone will. And we'll be pleasing in your sight. So Father, place this burden on our hearts to live for you, to share what you have done so that the gospel might advance from us as well. We thank you for how you will work in us as we seek to obey your word. In Jesus' name.